Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Jason Lee, journalist with the Deseret News and co-host of Voices of Reason podcast. Mara Carabello, president of the Exoro Group, and Matt Canham, managing editor of the Salt Lake Tribune. So glad to be with you all today, uh, particularly talk about the legislative session. We officially hit the halfway mark. We're over it, not that we count those days, but there is a <laughs> lot going on right now. And Matt, I wanna start with what just happened sure. at the end of the week, okay? Because uh, all the committees have been meeting, they've been hearing all the requests for funding that are going into the state. But this is the week when they start prioritizing those items. And then they present it to really the committee that controls all the money, the Executive Appropriations right. Committee. Talk about a couple of those proposals that are coming forward and a little bit about that process. So this is, you know, we've start the session by collecting a wish list. Everyone comes out to the legislature, especially in a year like this one where we have some money. So now it's the committee presents its list and we start getting serious, the governor, we have a new governor who has his own proposals. And so now we're gonna start figuring out where legislative leaders are gonna put their stamp. There's some money, um, we talked a little bit before the show about uh, double tracking on Front Runner, which is a proposal the governor came up with before um, the session, something that is expensive. I believe it's $350 million. But this is a year where we have enough cash where you can actually do something like that, and it would have a huge impact. To, to continue the conversation of process, some things to watch for next week. Uh, the new budget comes out, yeah. the new the new indication of actual money that, that will be close to the money we have to spend. So that'll go back to the subcommittees. Um, they, may, they may give another set of recommendations, but really right. the, the secret here is the executive appropriations mm -hmm. process. And we're going to see funding of projects that we probably haven't heard discussed very much in, in committee here. So the power of the executive committee is really something to watch and, and the final budget numbers will be out next mm -hmm. week. The consensus, we will know exactly what they have to spend, which is interesting. I wanna get into at least one of these points that Matt just talked about too. A lot of money funneling into clean air initiatives, this this double tracking of front runner, for example. Jason, talk about that because there are 22 bills right now, all sides of the aisle trying to get to uh, cleaner air in the state of Utah. Environment has always been a really key issue in Utah, particularly as, for instance, I cover business. Businesses always want to do something to improve quality of life. And when they try to recruit businesses to come to Utah, one of the key factors they mention is businesses think about the, uh, the problem we have with our clean air, our environment, and if we can put some, uh, some real hefty money into addressing these issues, I think it goes a long way to improving our economic stability in the years moving forward. I also think that uh, education is one of these things that uh, is, they've talked about putting a lot of money in there for teachers because education is so important, again, in, uh, in getting our uh, young people to a, a state where they can be best uh, ready for employment, those are the kinds of things that are going to be important this year, and it'll be in interesting to see how much money actually is appropriated for those kinds of programs. Mm -hmm. Thinking about businesses, one of the air qu uh, quality bills that I think is most interesting is the idea of adding more electric charging stations around our state. I think there's $6 million they're asking for. We'll see if they get that much. But if you're thinking about the future and you're recruiting businesses and you're thinking about a green economy, 
we're going to have more electric cars. You have to be able to charge it up in a vast state like ours. And the only way that's going to happen is if the state invests. And this is a year where they actually can do that. And it is you, Jason, as you said, it's a really big deal that we're seeing so much invest, potential investment yeah. in the area of air quality, particularly from the Republicans in the legislature. So I want to applaud that this has become a bipartisan issue and that we're also seeing investment. The one thing I think as citizens pay attention to this, to solve air quality, it's twofold. One, an investment in infrastructure and program, but two, we have to change our behavior. And that's often part mm. of what we miss, right? We're watching the legislature and thinking, oh, it's solved. No, uh, we're a big part of the air quality problem as individuals. Yeah, absolutely right. And Inadvertently, we we've uh, probably had some, uh, <laughs> some help in this because COVID has made many of us work from home, like myself, and we don't have as many cars on the road. And generally speaking, our cars are the, uh, the biggest uh, influence and we have the biggest impact on, negatively speaking, on our environment. And if we can do something about moderating that, then we can also go a long way toward uh, addressing our long-term environmental issues. Mm -hmm. There's two parts to this to this issue that Mara was talking about, Matt. I think it's interesting too because uh, it, it, it is both sides of the aisle that are proposing yes. these bills. But also, as, as you alluded to, the business community is all in on this, not just for their own businesses, but for the recruitment side, right. for the retention side, which is something that's developed recently. Yeah, and I think you know there's a reality that the world's changing. I mean, GM said, I believe by 2035, they're not going to sell gasoline-powered cars. The world changing, we have to get ready. And I do think we have a track record in this state of looking ahead, of trying to plan for these kind of major changes. And so I think this is what we're seeing here. Uh, we're also, there's a lot of bills on uh, air quality monitors where getting the information to the people about where we can make improvements, I think those things make a lot of sense. Uh, we'll see what happens. I say one thing, other thing with the budget is we might see a little bit of a slow process of seeing those priorities because there's still an internal or at least a not public conversation yet about how big a tax cut are we going to have. And that looms over everything. Until you know how big the tax cut is, you don't know how much other cash you have. Yeah, what's so interesting about that, Mara, is that uh, we keep hearing about this tax cut. I'm not even gonna ask you details, we don't know details, exactly. but we do know this is on the agenda. Right, and it's being repeated and repeated by uh, by legislative leadership, and it's definitely on the agenda. But you're right, we have very few details about this. And again, I'll repeat, this next week becomes critical because uh, we switch a little to executive appropriations, mm -hmm. and we switch a little bit to big decision-making by a small group of people, and, and, and we'll see a different set of dialogue coming up in the latter half, as also it speeds up. And a reminder, we've talked about this before, but what an unusual session this is. You know, if you go mm -hmm. up there, the halls are rather empty, you're going with appointments only, and <clears throat> to the good of public policy, the, the conversations and the deals that are made in the hallways, which are usually dismissed as inside baseball actually served the public really well. Being able to call 15 disparate people at one time yeah. as the speaker and say, are you in consensus? Are you in consensus? Um, is, is really important. And there's a physicality to that that is completely missing. And as they moved into quick uh, sifting of bills and as they make decisions more and more from an executive point of view, 
it's going to be a challenge, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to talk about cars for just a second, just to start talking about bills. Uh, <laughs> an article that ran in the tri Tribune uh, here uh, just, just today, Matt. So it's interesting. Uh, a lot of us, we have to register our cars every right. year. And uh, the tax commission, they thought maybe they'd save $500,000 in sending us a postcard telling us they're not going to send us a, a postcard uh, telling us it's time to register. Turns out about one in four people in the state of Utah didn't remember. Yes, I mean, the hard part is how often do you look at your license plate and see the little month tag? I don't even know what month I'm supposed to register my car. It's been the same month for years. Like, I don't even know what it is. I wait for the postcard. And apparently, uh, Jason and I and a lot of other Utahns <laughs> have been doing the same thing. Uh, and even House Speaker Brad Wilson forgot, didn't register his truck. This is... Uh, <laughs> This is funny, it shows how much influence a government can have by a simple act of sending a piece of mail. Mm -hmm. Jay's talking about you that, because I know person, you, you, I, was, uh, I was one of those people who got the car that I was late, I had forgotten, I was a month behind already. And uh, so then I had to uh, go get a temporary. You know what's really funny is you get used to certain things. I'm not sure what caused them to think that $500,000 $500, in the grand scheme of a, a billion, many billion dollar budget, was worth doing, uh, but it probably is one of the less popular decisions they've ever made, and I, I will be so glad to be uh, getting that postcard next year because I will, I will do the right thing uh, as I'm supposed to. But I'm like Matt, I, I had forgotten what month it was, and I think it's December, but, uh, and I got it in late January, so I'm like, well, I'm already late. You yeah. have to get the formal thing, and then you put it in the window. It's, it's, it's a big thing. It, I'm, I'll be glad to get that postcard again. Yeah, Mara, it was kind of funny. The sponsor of the bill actually took a picture of the Speaker of the House of his truck that had expired and said, here's the reason for. Yeah, I, too, will own that I need to be babysat on this issue. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's, it's interesting. Let's talk about a couple other bills that have come forward here. That one, that one's resolved. We'll start right. getting our reminders right. again, uh, funded by the legislature. Legislature. But I just have to say, because it's come up finally, uh, Matt, Space Force. Because we have to talk about Space Force, but it's back. I know it no is. one can say oh. it without kind of a little So smile. there's the Biden administration has signed a raft of executive orders overturning a ton of uh, President Trump's decisions, but not Space Force. Space Force might be here to stay. Yeah. And Utah is going to be one of the first states that it looks like to recognize Space Force. And I believe there are members at Hill Air Force Base who are now inductees into Space Force. And I think I, I find it to be funny. I'm sure there are serious issues that Space Force can actually help us with. Um, but it's one of those things that is now going to be part of our federal bureaucracy. Yeah, it, it is. It's going to be permanent there, it's too, going to be permanent. as you just mentioned. And Mara, uh, uh, former General uh, Bur Bur Burton, who uh, oversaw our National Guard for a long time, is the one sponsoring this thing, saying this helps us get federal money to Hill Air Force Base in the state of Utah. I'm, I'm sure it does. I was hoping you'd pass over this. I have a hard time, for some reason, not chuckling whenever we talk about Space Force. I'm sure the underlying issues and, and our competition uh, globally on these issues are very important, but the optics on it right now maybe need to be readjusted. Yeah. Oh, the hard part is, I mean, it's, it's because it's part of our military. And when we think of our military, we think of confronting an adversary. So when you think of Space Force, you think of confronting an adversary. And then the question is, who's the adversary in space? Oh, and I've when, seen the late night movies. Right. I know. We've seen this one. But there are probably lots of serious issues yeah. about, you know, how we interact in space, the amount of satellites, the defense mechanisms we can and, and probably are already using in space. But it is just, it's just humorous. Yeah. Uh, you know, one, one of the things I want to mention, though, is, is it, um, the Air Force has already been tasked. They, right. they, they've been you know, uh, not necessarily formally, they've been Space Force. And in fact, they will be the, uh, the, the conduit 
when they when they grow this bureaucracy. I don't know that uh, the money they spend on creating an entirely new bureaucracy, a new department, is necessarily the best way to spend this money because you could just add to the appropriations that's given to the Air Force already and just have it be kind of a subset of what they do. And so I'm a, I'm a little surprised, and to me it seems like a bit of folly, considering all the uh, major issues our country has to deal with right now, and certainly in our state as well, that we are going to put so much effort and so much emphasis on creating what many of us chuckle at when we first hear, and I think uh, a lot of people in the country are wondering, why are we doing this when there are so many other issues that we could be tackling? Mm -hmm. uh, let's get to a much more serious issue that we talked about on our show last week. Uh, Marl, let's, let's go to these uh, women in sports. There was a, uh, this bill that we've talked about here where it was, was making so transgender athletes would, would not be able to play on the team uh, for which they identify, but big development in the committee yesterday morning on that bill. Right, so in the, the committee, they actually uh, took out collegiate athletes and, and kept it focused. And, and I'm just going to correct in that it, it's not transgender athletes, it's transgender girls. So it's even right. more targeted than that. And I think that there are a number of things that are very troubling with this. We have very credible institutions like but not limited to the Olympic Committee, the National and uh, International Olympic Committee, the NCAA, uh, their advocacy groups. This is a challenging and complex issue, and it does not lack for policy. Mm -hmm. There are many serious-minded groups who have laid down the policy on this. Um, I think second concerningly, whenever a bill shows up in committee with a strong note from legislative um, uh, attorneys that say this is mm -hmm. likely to have litigation attached to it, it means that it's already an area that has established yeah. policy. I don't think the legislature is the right entity to be discussing this issue, and I think that it's certainly uh, leading to a lawsuit, which leads us to believe that once again it's a message bill, it's targeted, and it's targeted at high school children, and I think that this is not um, the place to have this conversation mm -hmm. in the legislature. We, we have neither the aptitude nor the expertise nor the need to have this piece of legislation. So perpetuating a message bill that's focused on high school um, mm -hmm. girls, I think is unconscionable, but more importantly, the legislature in areas that we have settled statutes, in areas that we have policies that come from very thoughtfully considered agencies, I would suggest that the representatives go petition that agency, have a dialogue. There's a lot of conversations to be had in the area of transgender athletes, but have those with mm -hmm. expertise. Um, don't once again, as a legislature, take it upon yourself, particularly to send messages. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, Matt, uh, when the, the, the collegiate sports was stripped out of this bill yesterday, right. you know, there have been some arguments that maybe made the lawsuit even stronger since it's targeted just at high school students. Just at high school trans girls. And and I think that it's, you know, it will lead to lawsuits, but it, it will lead to lawsuits not just in Utah. This isn't a Utah issue. This is a Republican issue spread throughout our country. Mm -hmm. This is something that Congress is talking about. This is something that uh, conservative media is talking about. And it's, I find it um, surprising this would be the issue that, that uh, comes up in this time of our, you know, country, but it does happen that things, catch people's attention, that they do feel that there's something to debate, and kind of like what Jansen said in the last story, uh, this isn't near the top of, of the list of issues we need to deal with. To my understanding, there is not a trans girl participating in a high school sport that we can point to and say, this is the one we're talking about. At committee, there were a couple um, girls who testified that they participated against a trans girl in a, uh, a, a cross-state competition, but that's the only example that I've heard 
This isn't a common occurrence. Mm -hmm. Uh, it would seem to be blatantly discriminatory, isn't it? Because we are targeting specifically women. I, I'm surprised that constitutionally this would uh, hold muster because you, you, you can't just choose one segment of the population to focus your, your law on. And you know, this, I don't know how this is going to progress. I, I, I'm really surprised, as Matt mentioned, that this is one of those issues that has been taken up particularly by the conservative side that they think is actually going to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. For just a moment, keeping on the theme of sports, uh, the House uh, okayed the change for Dixie State University. Mara? We're no, gonna... uh, this has been a tough issue. It's it's an issue of, of sort of uh, a conversation of social equity. One thing I think that's interesting, I'm going to dive right into racism on this, because one of the things we've found from behavioral scientists as we talk about whether it's use of force or whether we talk about uh, affordable housing issues or whether we talk about the names of our universities, social behavioral scientists have found that the one thing we are most um, reactive to talking about is if, if there's any indication that we might be biased or racist. And so I think that's the underlying of this is, is are we feeling accused and indicted personally about our feelings? But the realities, I thought, that have come through in that, yeah, those are the underpinnings of some of this language. And the social consciousness that we're feeling right now in the United States, I'm glad to see it, it's hit the shores of, of Utah. I, I recognize how hard this conversation is for those who were born and raised in Utah. I think it's an incredibly compelling argument that students are saying, well, gosh, I don't know if I want to graduate from a university and claim that that's the, right. the, um, the name on it. So I think that the legislature has done a good job to work through it. I, I was a little um, suspicious whether they would be able to. And, and what they've done is kick off a process to find a name that everyone uh, can, can, can wrap around. But it is time in the United States to continue to have these conversations about our, our biasness or the language that we use or what symbols. Symbols are enormously powerful, as is language, and it's mm -hmm. time to continue that conversation. There's also, to this to this point, Matt, there is a bill dealing with Native American uh, symbols uh, in, in public education in particular, encouraging uh, the, the groups to come together and to eliminate those over time. Right, and I think that this is exactly, you know, the offshoot of the same thing that Mara was talking about. Uh, we are taking a long overdue look at the language we use, at the symbols we use, and think about what it means to a broader group of people. And that is a healthy process for any country to go through. It's a healthy process for any city or university to go through. And, you know, people are going to have different viewpoints. People are going to have different, uh, they're going to be sentimental about certain things. And I think that one thing that's been nice is there has seemed to have been generally an adult conversation about this at all levels at the university level school level we saw with bountiful a high as well like while it some people will probably say this progress is ridiculously slow um the conversations have been healthy mm -hmm. uh, you know when i was on the uh, mlk human rights commission uh, a few years ago we took up the, uh, the topic of uh, Negro Bill um, in, in uh, right. near Moab in Grand County, and I remember thinking, I cannot believe, as an African American person, I even called uh, Washington D.C. to uh, figure out what the heck is going on to find out that there were seven other monuments around the nation with using that particular uh, descriptor, and I was so relieved when finally that was changed here in Utah, and I was always surprised at the fight that we had to uh, you know wage in order to make this happen. Similarly with uh, Dixie State. This is Utah, it's not even the South. I, I have no idea where that came from. And as a person who, I have lineage in uh, Mississippi, uh, and it, 
they don't have it there. I, it, it has always been surprising, but uh, as you guys have just described, finally, in the 21st century, we are, we are advancing in our thinking, we are being more sensitive, and to leave those vestiges of racism and of discrimination, the names like Dixie State, to have uh, the names of mascots uh, uh, after Native Americans, it, it is, to me, a sign of progress, and I, I'm glad to see it. I'm just sorry it took so long. Mm -hmm. Uh, before we leave the legislature, uh, one interesting bill with a high-profile advocate this week, there are a lot of treatment centers in the state of Utah where people from all around the country come for, for various uh, needs to get some help. Uh, but, but Matt, there have been a few stories on this, right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and we had a big visitor to talk about this this week. Yes, Paris Hilton, a celebrity. Uh, she was a resident at Provo Canyon School in the 1990s, and she said she was abused there. And she... Uh, documented that uh, in a film that she released this year and she came out here for a rally and she came out here to testify at the legislature about a bill from Senator Mike McKell, which so far has had no opposition, which would put restraints on or put limitations on the use of uh, drugs on teens to make sure that they are compliant, to lock them in seclusion rooms, to hold them in restraints, to put them in stress positions. I mean. We wouldn't let this happen to inmates in our state prison, and yet this state has allowed this to happen to teens in treatment centers. It is, it's unbelievable that it's taken this long to have this conversation, and when we've had it, the treatment centers are in favor of this. Mm -hmm. Everybody's in favor. So I'm going to start where Matt left off with it's taken so long. So uh, this is a substantive bill. I'm glad it's not seeing opposition. Credit is due to Paris Hilton bringing her celebrity to this and ensuring that it get passed. And, and I really appreciate those who have influence using their influence. I do want to take a moment, though, to talk about the Twitter patient, uh, the legislative session about having a celebrity up there. And I love that the word Twitter patient has Twitter in it because the so Social media that I saw on um, these starry-eyed legislators loving Paris Hilton and talking about how well she did, which again, credit is due there. What I hope to see in the next couple of weeks is more stories from legislators about everyday Americans or everyday Utahns mm -hmm. who are showing up these commi right. uh, committees who actually have something more to lose because they live in the communities in which they're speaking of. There are some amazing testimonies that go on um, from Utahns during the session. And while I appreciate us uh, shining a bright light when Paris Hilton speaks. I would also suggest that this bill has been around for a number of years. There have been a number of advocates that have been working on this who mm -hmm. are articulate and emotional and they're Utahns and I would encourage our legislature to make them celebrities um, in addition to taking the selfie when, when someone comes into town. That's good. That's good. Let's jump to the uh, federal level for just a moment. I know, you know there's so many things on the table. There is an impeachment proceeding going on in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. But Jason, I want to get a coming from you, because this is my my observation. Uh, Utah has been part of this. We've had both legislators, both of our senators, Mike Lee right. and Mitt Romney, have been part of the evidence, and even our own governor, Spencer Cox. It's just so interesting to see this national proceeding with Utah faces. Talk about that. You know, I, and what's interesting to me is that the diverging ideas they have, you know, with Mike Lee and, and, and Senator Romney having different points of view. And then uh, Governor Cox, even before he was governor, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, diving into this. And now since he has been elected, continuing that dialogue, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm proud of our state for having, you know, strong uh, feelings about this. Though I, you know, whether or not, you know, you disagree or, or, or not with whichever, you know, uh, lawmaker we're talking about, we know now 
that we have influence and that if, if we can continue to use it in a positive fashion, the, we become a bigger player on the national stage. So I, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's kind of a lot of theater involved in, in this whole process as I've been watching uh, in the news and on television. And I, I'll be interested to see how it actually turns out because there's still a lot of partisanship involved in this and, and depending upon which side of the aisle you're on. And, and to see at least this discussion being had in a serious way tells us that uh, we, we can at least have uh, adult conversations about it, whether or not we agree on you know, the outcome, that'll be a different story. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt, I wanna talk about the Mike Lee part for a moment. You know, sure. when, it, when it came to the first, the constitutional question, whether or not you could hold a proceeding for a former president, Mitt Romney is one of the six Republicans that voted, yes, we can proceed, and they are proceeding. But there's some interesting things with Mike Lee on this one. Phone calls from President Trump while it's going on, like maybe mistaken phone calls. What happened right there? And why is Mike Lee staying even now connected to that Trump administration? He grew increasingly tight with the Trump administration as that uh, term went on. And on January 6th, when rioters were storming the Capitol and they had not yet evacuated the Senate, Mike Lee got a phone call from the president and it was a mistake. The president was trying to reach Senator Tuberville, a uh, new senator um, from Alabama, and just accidentally called Mike Lee. Mike, uh, our senator gave uh, Senator Tuberville the phone and sat there and watched, and the senator told reporters about it, including a reporter of the Salt Lake Tribune. And we, um, multiple reporters published it. That became evidence there was, uh, a story that said that the senator overheard the content of that conversation, and that's what uh, Senator Lee is uh, disagreeing with, but not that it happened. It's a weird case. The senator is also now working with uh, Trump's attorneys on this. You know, Mike Lee has already said what he thinks about this. He thinks it's an unconstitutional trial. He said how he would vote. So I guess, you know, at the end of the day, the idea of him talking to the lawyer doesn't mean a whole lot, but it's, uh, it's an interesting case. Mm -hmm. yes. Mario, we've got about 20 seconds. Give us the final take so on this. So let's talk about the political maneuvers we should be watching. Right now, we have the spectrum of elected Republicans in Utah that are showing us the fight for the Republican Party, right? Uh, Spencer Cox, who was a Trump, a lightweight Trump supporter, is now saying, we got to look at this guy. Lee seems to be doubling down on MAGA Nation, and we're going to use Utah as a litmus test for this. I yes. Think. Thank you for these comments. So insightful today. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.